Um, let's just bow our heads one more time and ask for God to help us. Father, we just want to invite you here and just invite that you speak to each one of us and um, meet, meet us where we're at, Lord, and help us to, um, to see you in this morning's message speaking to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the topic for today is you never sin alone. That might be a little bit strange to you. Um, I'm happy if you guys do it from there because I don't even know how. Okay, good. There we are. Thank you. <clears throat> so um, if there's nothing else that you remember today, remember that, that you never sin alone. You never sin alone and we're going to unwrap it a bit and we're going to talk a bit more about it and what exactly is it that I'm trying to say or what I mean. Last um, sermon we, that I shared, I, as some of you might be slowly getting into it, that I'm talk, going through the book of Joshua, um, and uh, we're into chapter 7. Last time we spoke about the Jericho, the conquering of Jericho, the great city and the walls that came tumbling down. And uh, today we'll be talking about Joshua chapter 7. And the reason why I say you never sin alone is because you are never alone. If you're in this room, is because you believe that there is a creator, that there is a God out there, and that he's omnipresent, and he's always around, and he's always with you. He's always by you. And even when you think that you got away with it, um, God is around and God knows. Now, we're going to go through this story, and it's a, it's a very interesting one. Uh, the Bible tells, says in um, in First uh, John chapter one verse eight, he says, "If you if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." I'm going to kind of uh, marry it up a bit with Father's Day, and I'm going to talk a bit about a lot, I suppose, about our Father, about our Father God, and how He. Uh, how he sees and how he fits into the story of um, Joshua and the story of Achan. Now, last time when I spoke, I mentioned, I spoke about the book of Joshua chapter 6, about the story of the uh, great battle of Jericho. And I said that it's probably one of the most known stories in the Bible. It's a very well-known story because kids learnt it in Sunday school and they stays with people it's a great story, it's an exciting story it's something that happened that was amazing and it's just a good story and in the following chapter we have a story that hardly anyone knows of and it just follows, one story finishes and the next story begins straight afterwards and very few people know about it and the reason it being is that we like to talk about victories. We don't like to talk about defeat. So if the book of Joshua chapter 6 is a thrill, is the thrill of victory and the excitement of victory like I shared last time, then chapter 7 is the agony or the disaster of defeat. How agonizing defeat was and how agonizing defeat is. And we like to talk about victories. We like to talk about victories in our lives. We don't like to talk about defeats in our own personal lives. You know, they say that no one remembers a silver medalist in the Olympics. Everyone remembers the gold medalist. No one remembers a second. Even he, he wasn't defeated. He only came second. 
But everyone talks about the guy that got the golden me- the, the, the gold medal. Now, as we as we get into the chapter in, into chapter seven, I'd like to make go back to the last verse in chapter six that I shared last time. He says, "So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land." So, the Lord was with Joshua. God was with Joshua. God, people started to know that a mighty God, a, a God of miracles, is with Joshua. A God that performed miracles, that is victorious, that destroyed a mighty army of Jericho. He's with Joshua. And so he, fame spread. And he's getting a bit famous. And then we get to... Um, and, and so in chapter 2, in, in chapter 7, he says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out A. Now, it's a pretty straightforward um, instruction. The, I, I got a little map there of, um, of where A is. I'm not much into maps, so I don't talk too much about it. But the interesting part is that you can see where Jericho is very close to the Jordan and the, and the Dead Sea. But then between Jericho and A, there's mountains there. And they had to go up to A. And it wasn't just a, a walk in the park. It was a bit of hard yakka. It was a little bit of climbing. And imagine with all your gear on. A lot of times we just visualize things and we hear it and we read part of a story in the Bible. And it's just words. And it seems like we, we just we take for granted a lot of the finer details that goes with it. But here we, um, we, we're told that they went up and it literally was up into A. And when they returned, they said to Joshua, not all the people will have to go up against A. Send two or 3,000 men to, to go up there. That's all we're going to need to take it and do not weary all the people for only a few men are there. So... They are overconfident. They're very confident. They just had a massive victory. They had a big victory. And they said, well, you know, we don't really need to take all the soldiers. Let's just take a two or 3,000 of them and let's go and conquer it. We don't need them. And the way that they speak here, it almost makes it sound like they believe that they conquered Jericho. And now where they're talking about God and about they need... You know, God gave us Jericho. God's going to give us A. Let's just take a few thousand men, and that's the end of it. If they only used those words, maybe that would have been the end of it. But they forgot, and they took God out of the picture altogether. So that's probably lesson number one, is that we don't take God out of the picture. That God is always to be in the picture, and especially when he gives you a victory like that. And then we... And, and the interesting part is that Joshua, you know, he sent, they sent spies before that. He, he also went as a spy into the promised land. And he knows that spies don't always tell the truth and the whole truth. They twist it a bit. So you would have thought that he would have learned a little bit. But I don't know what state Joshua was in and what he was doing. But he says that, so the next verse says straight away, so about 3,000 men went up. 
straight away. So he's taken their advice and just sends 3,000 men to go up against Ai. And they were routed by the men of Ai, verse 4 says. Verse 5, he says, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarry and, and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So they were expected to have victory. And what do they do? What do they get? It's almost like you could just see them running with their tails between their legs. Hey, they, they, they're just running for it. Could you imagine the, the scene, what it would have been like? 3,000 men, soldiers, mighty soldiers running and having been pursued by a tiny little army behind them? It's not only a defeat, but it's a shameful defeat. And what should have been an easy victory turned out to be a total disaster. A complete disaster. It was a small town in which they were to have victory over that place and then move on. And they were conquering the land. They were conquering Canaan land. And they were going from victory to victory. And that's what you expected, but not them to come back running like that. <clears throat> and so what happens next? When the shocking defeat reaches Joshua, he's just in shock. Joshua's totally shocked. They come back and they say, we've been chased by this tiny little army that we thought that was insignificant. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their hearts. Here is a picture of Joshua tearing his clothes. And he, he knew that something was wrong. He knew that he mucked up as a leader. He knew that he didn't get, there's something, there's something got to be wrong here. Here is the God that said to us that he's going to be with us and I want you to go home and to start to read the next few verses because I'm not going to go to it, but I'll just summarize them just quickly. Is that then Joshua pleads to God and he says, Why? Why is this taking place? Weren't you going to be on our side? Weren't you going to be with us? Weren't you going to? We might as well have stayed on the other side of the, of the river. Why did we cross over here? But see, God is sovereign and God has reasons. Joshua doesn't know what happened. Why is God angry here? In verse chapter one, in the first verse of this chapter, he says that God burnt with anger inside him. He was very angry, God. Why was he so angry? <clears throat> and only God knows. And I, I love it. I love how Joshua takes it upon himself. What a good leader. He takes it upon himself. He doesn't ask the people. He doesn't tell the people all the, what's going on. He just takes it on himself and he cries out to God and he inquires of God and he says, what has happened, God? Why are we going through this? And no one's pointing a finger at anybody yet and no one knows what's happening. Joshua doesn't know that it's Achan. And so we need to go back to the story in chapter 6 that I shared last time. Remember when they conquered Jericho, there were strict instructions that you are not to bring back anything, that you're not to spare anyone's life, that you're to destroy everything. 
And if there was anything of value that you brought back, any gold, any silver, any precious stones, you were to bring it back to the, to the temple and you were to offer it to God. It was God's. And I think that that's another lesson here that we can learn is that what belongs to God belongs to God. Everything that you have belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. And we're to take care of it. We're to look after it. So here is, so what happens here is that Achan takes some of the goods that he finds while he's conquering this land, while he's in Jericho, and he brings it to his tent. And we'll see it in a minute. And he hides it. But he's only one man, and we're talking of millions that were there. There was lots of soldiers that were fighting. There's lots of soldiers, thousands of soldiers involved in the attack, and only one man violated the order. And Joshua doesn't know that yet. And it was one man, because of one man's disobedience, 36 people, 36 graves had to be dug. Because of one man's disobedience, the whole army was chased and felt defeated. Their courage would have gone down. Because of one man's disobedience, the nation was put to shame. In verse, it's in your time, I'd like you to read it, because like I said, how, how Joshua approaches God is just another story for another sermon. But I'd like to encourage you all to read it at home, chapter 7 of Joshua. And also another thing I'd like to point out, that in verse 1 he says, the Lord's anger burnt against Israel. His anger burnt against Israel. That's how angry God was because of the disobedience of one person. One person disobeyed and the anger of God burnt against him. And then in verse 26, after they took care of the issue, after there was repentance, after there was punishment, after there's a price paid for the sin, he says the Lord turned from his fierce anger. He turned from it and then he started blessing them and they started to have victory after victory after victory. There's no more lives mentioned or recorded that were lost. Because he was satisfied, his holiness, God is holy. And if he wasn't holy, then the presence of sin around wouldn't bother him. But because he is holy, he can't go one hand in hand. What's interesting about this story too is that <clears throat> it talks to those within. It talks to these Israelites that were part of the camp. And I refer to us as the church, it talks to us. It's not talking to those that haven't never step foot in a church it's a reminder to Christians to those that come and gather around every Sunday and I'd like to point a few more store, few more points or lessons that we can learn from here is another one is a great victory often leads to great temptation see they had a great victory and then they were tempted to claim the credit and how often does that happen with us we have a victory in our lives and we say oh you know, tell my friends about how good, how great Christian I am. I must be a good Christian. I must be, a, something must be good about me that God just keeps, say it's about me rather than about God. And that's where God was disappointed here too, is that they took their focus off God and put it upon themselves. It's better to be weak than to feel strong when you're in God's work. Because if you're feeling weak, is that you need 
God on your side. You need his strength. Another point is that sin always hurts other people. I'd like to point out that in verse 1 he says, but the Israelites were unfaithful. The Israelites were unfaithful. How many people were unfaithful? One. And he says the Israelites were unfaithful. And if you think, okay, I'm just picking on a word, well, listen to verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned. The Lord even says they have taken, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put their them with their own possession in verse 11 he says it doesn't say he or Achan has taken it's part it's, it's, it's a whole and God held them all responsible for one man's sin and that's what he means to be part of God's family that's what he means to be part of the family of God the part of the family we are and that's why in the New Testament he talks about if you know if the arm is chopped off the whole church suffers the whole body suffers the apostle paul talks about the yeast how it affects the whole batch of dough and he spreads through the whole batch of dough that tiny bit of yeast it grows and grows and grows you know God knows how to bring our sins to light. With Achan, he was a rich man. He had children. He had oxen. He had donkey. He had sheep. You can read all that in your time that I said in that chapter. It's quite a long chapter. And he had a tent. And he came from a leading tribe of Judah. He came and he took, and he, he took that stuff, not because he needed it, not because he was poor. He took it out of greed. He didn't need that. And it was clear that the soldiers were not to touch whatever they took from Jericho. You know, they could have had an excuse. He could have had an excuse and he could have said, well, I wanted a souvenir. I wanted to remember God's victory in my life. I wanted to take something for my family. I wanted to take something for my house to be as a reminder of God's um, promises. But God said something, and what God says must be obeyed. You know, a lot of times people say, God told me something. You hear some people will say, and maybe you'll say the more spiritual people would say, God said this to me, or God said something to me. Well, what I'd like to say here is that if God ever tells you something, make sure you write it down. Because you can, if God said it to you, then you better do it. Because it's a serious, serious stuff. Especially if you believe that God told you. And I'm not doubting that God hasn't told you. But you need to take it serious whenever God tells you anything. In Numbers chapter 32 second part of verse 23 says and you may be sure that your sin will find you every sin that we have that is unrepented for we're told that will be exposed everything will be exposed you might think that you get away with it you might think that you said a white lie you might think that um, you deceived someone that you're going to get away with it but 
it's all going to be exposed. God punishes disobedience just like he did here. God, we might say that Achan, he only, he didn't affect anyone. He didn't impact on anybody. He's just taken some of the gold that he found and some of the silver. How is that hurting anyone? How's that hurting the Israelites? But he stole from God. That was meant to be, that was meant to go to him. In verses 19, we come to the second part of the story. And here is, um, then Joshua said to Achan, so what happens in the story, and like I said, read it to yourself. So God said to, to Joshua, he said, someone has seen in the camp. You need to find out. So he brings them, brings them all in front, and then he narrows it down to the tribe of Judah. Then he narrows it down to a small to, to smaller groups of people until he comes to the family and then this person is pointed out. And here is that Joshua says to once that Achan was exposed, he said, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And I think that we've got to give credit here to Achan and we've got to say, well, you know, he could have hidden it. He could have denied it but he doesn't. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So here he confesses, And he says, first he says that I saw the plunder. First he sees it, so it's the, the eye, the last of the eye. And we all struggle with that. Our eyes see things that we'd like to have. But then we go to the next level and we covet them. He coveted it, he says. I coveted it. And then rather than to deny and to, to deny that temptation that was before him, he says, and I took and so he grabbed it and he fell into that temptation. And here he is, he's acknowledging that and he says, I have sinned. He acknowledges that what he had done. So the eye beholds and then the heart covers and the hand is the one that takes. And the honest confession glorifies God because God is holy. And he cannot dwell where sin dwells, where sin is celebrated. And when he says, I have sinned, he opened the door for, for, for forgiveness. He opened the door for blessings when he acknowledged that he, that he sinned. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy, whoever confesses it. You know, we don't know the we don't God is sovereign and we serve a sovereign God. We know the story of David. We know that David had committed a sin and he didn't acknowledge it until he was exposed as well. So he needed someone to expose him and the, 
Nathan exposed him and he acknowledges sin. And he, but I think he went one step further. And as soon as he, he was, his heart, because he had a relationship with God, as soon as his heart was hurt, felt that he, that he sinned against God, he felt and he pleaded with God and he cried out to God to have mercy on him. And I don't see Achan crying out for mercy, but nevertheless, maybe he did. Maybe it's not recorded here. But could it be that we're going to see Achan in heaven? I don't know. All I know is that he did repent. He says, it is true that I have sinned against the God of Israel, and I have done this. So he acknowledged that, and he confessed it. But there is a price to be paid, and David also paid with a dear price, his son, with the life of his son, to Bathsheba. Sin always brings consequences that must be faced. You know, you can shoot an arrow. Well, not like that, like this, yeah? You can shoot an arrow... And you can repent. No, you can change your mind when it's in the air and you can say, I'm sorry, but it's still going to have consequences if you hit someone on the other side. You can't stop that. You've let go of that arrow. And sometimes we let go of words that will have consequences. And sometimes just hold them back. There's wisdom in that as well. He doesn't remove the consequences. In, we, we, we know of people that confess, that are locked up in jail for murderers, that are locked up for horrible crimes. They still have to pay the price. And in the States, they might even get capital punishment with their lives, the death penalty. In Australia, they might spend the rest of their lives, but there is consequences. There is a price to be paid. And this is what God said to them, that this is what they, need, they must do. He says, Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan's son of Zerah, the silver, the robes, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle. This way we know that he, had, he was quite a wealthy person. His cattle, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this terrible on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they stoned him, they stoned the rest. They burned him. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day, then the Lord turned from the fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Incredible, hey? Now, that's not the, um, the, the heap of rocks there. This is just a heap of rocks that I took from somewhere else. But it's a reminder. And it's there to remind people that God is serious. Now, when God says something, he means it. And maybe we need to put a little pile of rocks like that in our place. 
in our own homes so that we're reminded that God means business, that God is got to be taken seriously. When God says something to you, when God says something to me, we need to obey. We can't take it too lightly. Sin brings consequences. And what I love about this story is I said that I'll kind of somehow join it together to Father's Day. <clears throat> and I can even see the love of God here for Achan, hey. He brings him and he says, yep, you've got to pay the price because with, where there is sin, there's got, to be, there's got to be a price. And he had to pay a price, him and his family. But from there on, Israel comes from victory after victory. They go back to, I'll, I'll tell you, we'll go back into the next chapter and they have victory over Ai and they're told that they're even allowed to bring the goods back. God says you can bring back the gold, the silver, anything that you get from there, you can bring it back. All you have to do is obey, and Achan could have got what he wanted. Just a matter of a, a, a few days would have had to go past. Either take God seriously or walk away from the whole deal. Don't think you can rewrite the rules to suit yourself. Don't think we can rewrite rules to suit me or to suit you. But there's something that we all need to know and we all need to deal with Satan. Satan is a liar. Satan said to Achan, no, you can have it now, it won't matter. It doesn't matter to God. It's only a little bit of treasure. It's only a little bit of gold and silver. You can have it. And could he have it? He paid a dear price, didn't he? And Satan lies and cheats and steals and he's out there to destroy. He's out there to destroy you and destroy me and he wants to tear us apart. He wants to remove us, separate us from God. But yet God loves us so much. And he won't let us get away with sin. He loves us so much and sin matters to him. And God loves us so much that he sent his son. He sent Christ to die for you and for me. We no longer have to pay the price that I can pay. We don't have to pay with our own lives. We just have to confess our <coughs> sins. In 1 John 1, 1.9 it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to pay the price. The price has been paid. But if you think that you can hide, that you can hide a sin in your life, you can't hide it. God knows about it. You need to confess it. Once you confess it, then he's faithful and just and will forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. The sin was paid for. Isn't that great news? Isn't it great news that we don't have to fear God with the fear that Achan had to fear and could you imagine Achan, how much he feared as he's going, as they're going from one tribe to, a sm- to just getting closer and closer to him. He would have been so petrified for his life because he knew that he was the guilty one. He knew that he was the one that disobeyed God. Sin must be paid for and sin was paid for. But there are consequences. Sometimes there will be consequences in your life, in my life. But God is faithful and just and will forgive us. And that's the main thing, that we give that, 
that we get back to the relationship with God. And just like the last verse says that his, his fears, his anger was no longer, he was no longer angry with the Israelites. He embraced them again and he embraced them all the time. But he was angry when someone disobeyed, when someone disobeyed a simple instruction. It wasn't complicated, it was very simple. And most instructions that we disobey are very simple. Don't cheat, don't lie. When we sin, we have a saviour who's greater than Joshua. By, by putting that verse there, I want to remind everyone that, yeah, that we need to trust in Christ who took that place. He paid that price. He was pierced. He was bruised. And if that means something to you, you need and I need, we all need to come clean. We need to believe that God is just and is merciful, just like we read in Proverbs. He loves a, a humble heart but opposes the proud, says in Hebrew. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories such as these, Lord, that are not always easy for us to, to accept. They're not easy for us to, to digest them, Lord, because they seem to be pretty harsh. But we thank you, Lord, that we have the price that's been paid by your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for sending Christ, for loving us so much. We thank you that you loved us, that you still love us so much. And we thank you that you remind us that sin separates us from you, Lord. And that we need to confess it one to another. It's not a hard thing to do, but it's an honest thing to do. And Father God, I just pray that you may encourage us, that you may give us the, the courage to face and to look at our lives. And Lord, that we may have the courage to come forward. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fathers that are in this room, Lord. And I pray that we may continue to lead our families to, to, uh, to know of your love and to continue to talk about the amazing love that you have for our families, for our children, and that you have for each person that is in this room. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.